1948, the people in the British colony of Newfoundland faced a choice. They could become an independent dominion within the British Empire, or they could vote to join Canada in Confederation. The anti-Confederates are not going to get away with it. But St. John's was an anti-Confederate headquarters. Watch in particular the attractive bait which will be held out to lure our country into the Canadian mousetrap. Listen to the Stories Behind the History podcast for our special series, How Did Newfoundland Join Canada? Available now wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is the Secret Life of Canada crash course. Just a little bit of history. So a while back, we posted a happy birthday on our socials in honour of Mary Ann Shad, a person that we assumed many people knew about. The post read, Happy birthday, Mary Ann Shad, born on October 9, 1823. An abolitionist, activist, and teacher, she founded the Provincial Freeman in 1853. It would make her the first black woman in North America to publish a newspaper and one of the first female journalists in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it got a huge reaction from people saying things like, what? And why didn't we not learn about her in school? And so, I, I mean, I think we both realized, oh, a lot of people still don't know about her and haven't heard about her. Um, but they were very fascinated that a black woman was actually one of the country's first journalists. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, if you consider the time period of when this is, you know, she is truly amazing. Mm -hmm. She was born in 1823 to a free black family in Wilmington, Delaware, at a time when the enslavement of black people was legal in much of the United States. Right. And was Delaware a free state or a slave state? It was a slave state, which may be one of the reasons why her parents moved the family to Westchester, Pennsylvania, which was a free state. She was 10 when they moved, and she was the oldest of the 13 Shad children. Her parents were prominent abolitionists. Meaning they were actively trying to end slavery in the U.S. I, most abolitionists tried to help enslaved African Americans get to freedom. Like That was the whole goal. Mm -hmm. Yes, the Shads were part of the Underground Railroad, a network of, like, if you've been asleep for a million years, a network of people. <laughs> hey, a network maybe of someone doesn't know. Okay, okay. okay. I know that was not it. very tell generous. Let me tell you about the Underground Railroad. Um, okay, so it was a network of people, uh, black people, white people, and indigenous people from across North America that organized safe passage to Canada. When I was guest hosting Unreserved uh, last season on CBC Radio, uh, we did an episode on the connection that indigenous people have to the Underground Railroad. It was, it was super fascinating, and we'll link to it in the description of this episode if you want to take a listen to that. Another large community of abolitionists at this time were the Quakers. They described themselves as a religious movement that practiced a form of Christianity that centers the faith towards the principles of equality. And uh, Marianne was educated by Quakers. So she was really brought up around all of these activists and changemakers. At 16, Marianne moved back to Delaware and opened a school for black children. She taught for 10 years, going from city to city, helping to educate black children. She was a phenom and almost immediately starts writing pamphlets and different essays on education and abolition. 
Then there's this turning point in 1850 when this piece of legislation passes in the U.S. Congress called the Fugitive Slave Act. This law stated that any black person who had been enslaved, ran, and then made it to a free state, they could be apprehended and brought back into enslavement. And because the time was the time, African Americans could, you know, quote unquote, I'm I'm putting quotes Mm -hmm. here. Yep. They could accidentally be sold into slavery, even if they had never been enslaved. This is essentially the now famous and true story of Solomon Northup. Um, He wrote his life story and titled it 12 Years a Slave. And people might now know that very famous Mm -hmm. movie, which, by the way, I've never seen as I cried hard enough when I read a a short excerpt of the actual book. So, you know, not even Lupita and Brad Pitt can get me to watch this movie, even though I I deeply respect the story. Yes, I I support your decision. I did watch (laughs) it. Hard, hard movie. Good movie, but Mm -hmm. hard movie. Mm -hmm. Hard. Yeah. In September of 1851, Marianne traveled to Toronto for a huge conference called the North American Convention of Colored Freemen. A lot of prominent leaders showed up, including Josiah Henson. We have a we we did an episode on him um, on the mm-hmm. character of Uncle Tom. Uh, George Brown was there, the publisher of the Globe and Mail, and Mary and Henry Bibb. Yeah, it, this conference was huge. A lot of people, not only prominent people, but also enslaved people that had just gotten there and 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 wanted to share their stories about how to get up to Canada or anywhere else that you wouldn't be enslaved um, also came to this. Um, but Mary and Henry Bibb, who were there, they were a very big deal. Black women played a huge role in educating their families and communities outside of the formal education system at this time. But Mary Bibb specifically was one of the first black women in North America to teach inside a formal school setting. Henry Bibb, her husband, he had escaped slavery in the U.S. and he went on to become a really respected thinker and writer. They published an abolitionist newspaper called The Voice of the Fugitive. Great title. I love that title. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The Bibbs had heard about Marianne because people had, and they really needed and wanted more Black teachers to start uh, coming to Canada because all these these children were coming, right? Mm -hmm. And so they convinced Marianne to come to Canada because things were getting really hard in the U.S. because of the the law that we mentioned, Mm -hmm. and it was getting dangerous for Marianne and her family. So she packed her bags and left for Canada and joined the Bibbs, who were living close to Windsor, Ontario, in the town of Sandwich. Which, by the way, makes sense, because if I'm running to freedom, I'm also going to need a hearty sandwich <laughs> at the end of my journey. I agree. So I, I, I mean, I, I need a hearty sandwich to like, do mo- <laughs> right most now. things in my life. So while she's living in Sandwich, she starts attending meetings about abolition, and she's very outspoken. This was nothing new. When Marianne was younger, she had started giving her opinion pretty freely. A now famous story is that one of the leaders of the movement, Frederick Douglass, had a newspaper called The North Star and asked readers to send ideas in on how to improve things for black people. Marianne takes out a pen and writes this long response and sends it in. Frederick Douglass publishes it, and here is an excerpt. We have been holding conventions for years. We have been assembling together and whining over our difficulties and afflictions, passing resolutions on resolutions to any extent. But it does really seem that we have made but little progress considering our resolves. 
we should do more and talk less. Mic drop. So, yeah, this is like this <laughs> is one. this is a big thing, you know, for a woman to say in a public newspaper. Like a lot of movements throughout history, women are often relegated to the sidelines. And this time was no different. But nevertheless, she opens up a racially integrated school with financial backing of the American Missionary Association. The jury is out on whether any white children attended, but Marianne made a point that schools should be open to everyone. That wasn't really met with a lot of enthusiasm from the Bibs, who actually wanted segregated schools. Their opinion was, look, we've put up with a lot from white people at this point in time, so we just want our children to learn in peace. There was a lot of complication with funding and no funding. And Marianne was of the opinion that Black people should be welcome in all spaces. And the way to do that was to start by welcoming white children into Black schools. You know, she wanted full equality Um, So it was a fundamental difference in ideology with how to deal with white supremacy, which, let's face it, like every movement has these internal struggles. People disagree on how to reach their goals. And this one was no different. And it got really public. Henry Bibb publishes some stuff in his paper, essentially calling out Marianne like this quote. Miss Shad has said and written many things which we think will add nothing to her credit as a lady. That's shots Shots were fired. Uh, Marianne didn't back down, though, and she ended up calling out Henry Bibb and some other notable men in The Voice of the Fugitive in, in his paper. I mean, what they actually printed, right? It got bad for Marianne. She got fired from teaching and lost the funding from the American Missionary Association for the school. So she decided, I'm not going to be trashed by these men in their papers. She felt like the voice of the fugitive needed to be balanced out. And so she decided, I'm starting my own paper. She raised funds in both Canada and the U.S. and published the first issue of The Provincial Freeman on March 24, 1853. She would be one of the first female journalists and editors in all of North America. Now, who's actually the first? Well, Probably maybe Mary Bibb, another black woman, everyone, because Mary Bibb started her newspaper with her husband, Henry Bibb. But Marianne Shad gets the credit of launching a newspaper on her own and, you know, driving that that paper. But both these women deserve credit, even though they may have had some major disagreements with each other. If you look at a copy of it online, Marianne is not credited as the editor. It's Samuel Ringgold Ward, who was an abolitionist friend of Marianne's. And that is because she knew no one is going to give this any credence if a woman has her name as editor on the byline because it's 1853 and people do not have their crap together. But she was the editor and would write a large portion of the content of the newspaper. And all of her articles, though, they were credited um, under the initials M.A. So the provincial Freeman's tagline was, self-reliance is the true road to independence. Yeah, and Marianne managed to keep the paper going for seven years. It was hard because, you know, there wasn't obviously a lot of money. She was the one who secured subscribers. She was the one who brought thinkers and writers of the day to the table. She gave her opinions in the paper, and she also took on investigative journalism pieces. I mean, she did it all and raised a lot of the capital for the paper by public speaking engagements, which she gave all over Canada and the U.S. 
A year before the paper folded, she got married and became Mary Ann Shad Carey. She continued her activism, and when the American Civil War started, she decided to move back to the U.S. to help recruit black soldiers to fight for the Union. The Union was the good side. It's good to clarify. After all of that, she actually decided to get a law degree, which she did when she was 60 years old, which is incredible for present day. But in the late 1800s, being a 60-year-old woman was being like 286 years old. So yeah. amazing. Yeah. She got her law degree from Howard University and would be the only the second black woman ever to do so. Mary Ann Shad Carey would use that degree over the next 10 years, speaking out about women's rights, but would fall ill due to cancer and pass away in 1893. In 2018, the New York Times published Mary Ann's obituary as part of a series called Overlooked, which aims to add notable people to its obituary section, even if it's 100 years after the fact. In it, they include a quote from one of the greatest African-American thinkers of the 20th century, W.E.B. Du Bois. Du Bois wrote this about Marianne Shad Carey. Well-educated, vivacious, with determination shining from her sharp eyes, she threw herself single-handed into the great Canadian pilgrimage when thousands of hunted black men hurried northward and crept beneath the protection of the lion's paw. She became teacher, editor, and lecturer, tramping afoot through winter snows, pushing without blot or blemish through crowd and turmoil to conventions and meetings, and finally becoming recruiting agent for the United States government in gathering Negro soldiers west. As I look about me today in this veiled world of mine, despite the noisier and more spectacular advance of my brothers, I instinctively feel and know that it is the five million women of my race who really count. Black women. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.